Welcome to Fresh Catholic, a podcast for those who are converting, reverting, or simply want a fresh perspective of the Catholic faith to help them to open their hearts and minds to become closer to the love and goodness of Christ. My daily prayer is that I will be a bright light to others, to be filled with the love and light of Christ, so that when people look at me, they see Him radiating out from me for His glory. Well, welcome back. I'm so happy you're here. You you came back to me. That's wonderful. So I kind of left last time on a cliffhanger of that I was in a very serious car accident. My 21-month-old baby boy was in the car with me, and I was seven and a half months pregnant. So a lot of the things I'm going to say today are my memories. Some are from what people have actually told me or records I've read. Some of it's my recounting. I believe I was kept alive to tell this story, to help other people realize how life is so precious. In in another episode, I'll talk about kind of the aftermath of this accident because it was really like a big boulder being dropped into the water and just the ripples of it went on and on and on and affected a lot of people, not just myself. I'm also writing a book called Halo. That's my experience with my accident and afterward becoming a Catholic. So keep your eyes out for that. I'm excited to write it. It'll have a lot more details. Um, It will have more stories of angels and miracles. So I hope you will keep an eye out for that. I'm excited. This story isn't meant to be a downer in any way. It's meant to be a hopeful story. So I hope it's received that way. When I woke up on March 28, 1990, pregnant, fat and sassy, had my little baby boy, we were just going to drive to the DMV, my entire life changed, as did his, in just matter of moments. You know, it was it was just a normal, normal day, doing all the normal, like, morning mommy things. You know, I used to spend a lot of time with my little boy. You know, we just got in this big truck that day to to head over to the DMV. So I was driving on a straightaway on a road, beautiful day, not a cloud in the sky. And my baby was in the car in his booster seat. And a um, car was coming the other direction. They were stopped and they were going to be turning. And the woman behind him came up upon his vehicle and didn't see the car stopped in front of her. So instead of going right into an open field, she came left into oncoming traffic, which was me, and hit me with her car behind the driver's seat. Um, They think that the impact of that pushed me off the road. I went down into a ditch. They think I tried to correct myself, and I turned my wheel and came back up onto the road, flipped end over end, the mother's intuition is to like dive over and save your child. My baby was in the front seat in his booster seat. And as I dove over, the cab of the truck came down and snapped my neck. And so when we landed, I was laying down on the seat, um, turned away from the window. And I looked up, I could hear my baby screaming, 
but I couldn't see him. It turned out that he ended up coming out of his car seat and landing in the back seat and hit his head. So he was alive, thank God, he's still alive. I looked up with my eyes and I could see the windshield was completely shattered, but intact. And the whole cab of the truck was squished down to the steering wheel. And my I was laying on the bench and I had my hand in a cup and blood was dripping into the cup of my hand. And I just remember thinking, oh my gosh, is that my blood? And I just, I could hear my baby screaming. This person came to the door and I said, I was screaming for them to get me out. And he said, I can't get you out. And I said, I'm pregnant. And he said, oh my God, I can't get you out. And that's all I remember. And so that was a horrible memory. I guess what ended up happening was it took quite a while for help to arrive because we were out in the middle of nowhere. And they came and got me and my baby and took us to this little tiny hospital. I was not doing very well. I was I was kind of a mess, obviously. And, and they had a helicopter come and they took me to a trauma center uh, in Modesto and left my baby behind. So while I was in the air, in the helicopter, um, I started dying in the air. And so the second they landed and took me into the trauma center, I had a C-section and the, uh, my baby daughter was born and they immediately took her to a trauma center for babies. And so I was left at the Modesto Trauma Center. When I finally uh, opened my eyes, I don't even know how many hours later, all I remember was my eyes opened and I thought, great, my eyes are open, I can see. I couldn't move from the neck down, I couldn't speak, but my eyes were open and I thought, great, all's good, I'm awake. So when I woke up in intensive care, I honestly didn't know really what was going on at all. However, everybody else in my life was already living in a bit of turmoil, you know, with this accident. Obviously, this was very traumatic to my parents. My husband, if you can imagine, he had just recently turned 24. So this is a lot for a man to take on. You know, his whole family was almost wiped out in one afternoon. And, you know, he just really rose to the occasion and, um, you know, took took care of the situation. My husband would leave for most of the week, and then he would come home because he worked in the valley floor of Yosemite. And he knew I was going to the DMV that day. So he wasn't really rushing back home. He was like, oh, Lori, you know, she'll be, she'll be getting home this afternoon. So on his way home from work, he stopped by to see his mother. She told us later that she woke up that day, went to the bank, and took out money out of the bank, which she didn't know why she did it. She didn't need money out of the bank. She, she took money out of the bank. She went and filled her car up with gas which she didn't need to fill up her car with gas. And then she went to work. So my husband stops by and they're having a, a nice talk. And, and then he drove home. 
And this was back in the days when there was no cell phones and not a lot of easy access. And if you missed a phone call, you missed a phone call, you know. And that's when he got the phone call that his mom and brother had been in an accident. And he said, well, my I just left my mom. And how old's the boy? And they said, he's three. And they he said, that's not my that's my that's my son and my wife and what's funny is our son was 21 months and they thought he was three he was a very big boy and we feel like that's what saved him was his size if he wouldn't have been such a big boy he would have never made it in that accident thank you god for making him so robust so then my my husband calls his mother and says Lori and taylor have been in an accident and she said i'll come pick you up So she drove, and her car was filled with gas to get them all the way to Modesto. And she took out cash, which they had to go buy a new car seat for the baby because his car seat was ruined. And so I think that was pretty interesting. Um, God works in mysterious ways. So he frantically drove to the little tiny hospital, and right as he pulled up, the helicopter was leaving. And he went running into the hospital, and... He, of course, didn't know what was going on, and all he hears is, Daddy, Daddy. And he turns around, there's our baby, and he's very bloody. And first of all, they had to give the baby um, stitches, so they had to handle that before they left the hospital. And then his mother, um, my husband's mother, came, and they all drove to Modesto, which was two hours away in a car together. And they had to get a hotel room. My my mother-in-law and the baby went to the hotel my husband went to the hospital. Then when people started arriving at the hospital, they all would have to wait out in the in the waiting room of intensive care and take turns going in. One of the first people to arrive was my best friend, and she when she arrived, she went into the intensive care and asked where I was, and they pointed to where I was and she said, "No, that's that's not her." And they said, "No, that's her." And she said, the only thing that looked like me was my hair. Um, I had really long hair, and it was hanging off the end of the bed. The rest of me didn't look like me. I was so swollen that my face was flat, and my neck was swollen all the way, so my ears were flat. So it was very, I, I didn't look at all like myself. And so everybody had to come in and kind of have this good attitude because, you know, which I don't know how they did it. But they didn't want me to be, you know, worried or be afraid. And they all kept coming in, and everybody was kind of fine. And I was like, well, I must be doing okay. I was just thinking this because I couldn't even talk. But I was thinking, well, I must be doing okay because everybody's, you know, fine. And I thought, when my mom comes in, I'll, I'll know because if she, she'll be the gauge. And I don't know how she did it, but she came in, and she was just as calm and stoic as she could be but then my husband told me later that everybody would come in and do that and then go out in the hallway and just sob their eyes out because it was very it was pretty intense I guess so anyway I ended up obviously staying for quite a while in the hospital my baby was over at her intensive care hospital and my other baby I wasn't sure where he was. They all were telling me he was with my mother-in-law, but I didn't really believe it. Um, 
when I was in my room after intensive care, um, there was a I could hear a child crying a lot, and there was times I thought it was him in the other room. Um, I didn't think I I actually thought he died, and I thought they weren't telling me. And it was again before cell phones. Um, there was no way for them to show me. I was afraid to ask because later everybody said, "Well, we could have done something so you could have seen it." And I, I said I didn't want to know. I was afraid to ask. I got to a point where I was getting very depressed, and and I was in the hospital, and I just, you know, I I was paralyzed from the neck down. My one baby was in the hospital. I didn't think the other baby was alive. And I needed something. I needed some hope. Um, I had a male nurse come in one day, and he said, we're going to bring your baby to you, um, you know, because he could tell I was kind of losing hope. So it took actually two days for them to arrange that for her to come over from her hospital. And the day she came, um, everybody around me was so excited that she was coming because she was a miracle baby. And that's what they referred to her as. She she started out as the trauma baby and ended up as the miracle baby. And so they were going to bring her to me, and they lined the hallways to see her coming, you know, in her little <laughs> cubicle or whatever it was. And they brought her into me, and I had a choice of either, either looking at her or holding her because I had a big neck brace on. And so... I definitely wanted to look at her, and I wanted to hold her. And so they were very kind at the hospital that they put her um, on my floor, which was the orthopedic floor instead of the maternity floor. And she was down the hallway, and uh, she had her own private nurse, and her nurse would bring her in multiple times a day to show her to me to you know give me hope. And she would wear little Cabbage Patch doll clothes. Um, that's how tiny she was. And so... Um, when they wanted me to start walking, I that's where you know I wanted to walk was to go see my baby, and which was pretty smart thinking on their part because it was you know pretty motivational. Um, so I'll just never forget the first time I sat they sat me up to get up and I was like oh my gosh you know how heavy is this thing I thought it was my neck brace and they're like what and I said the neck brace and they said that's your head. Your head is like really heavy. And I'm like, your head's heavy, everybody. Like you just don't realize, but when you have a broken neck and you have no strength in your neck, it's a heavy head. Um, anyway, so I started learning to walk, to go down to see my daughter. And so that was great to have that motivation. Um, also, all during this time, I knew I was on many prayer chains in the area, in the state, possibly in the nation, actually. Um, a lot of people have heard, had heard about our accident, and they were praying for us, and there's, there's a big power of prayer. And I felt it. I knew it. I had, um, I don't know exactly where it came from, but I think it was probably volunteers at the hospital made a little crocheted cross for me, and I had it under my leg the whole time I was in the hospital. Like, it was always with me. And it just, it gave me something to kind of hang on to and to focus on. And, you know, I just, I knew God was watching out for me. I knew I was on these prayer chains. Um, 
it really did help me. It, it made me feel so much better. I got well enough. I had a, I had a surgery and they fused the back of my neck and I got well enough to go home. And my baby got to come home the same day with me. So that was another miracle. And a lot of people from the hospital came the day we were leaving. And I'm thinking, who are you people? You know, like they kept coming up to my room and just kind of looking in my room. And, and so finally it was like, my husband asked them, you know, can, you know, can we help you? And they're like, oh, we just wanted to come and see them before they left because most people that come in to the intensive care like they did don't leave the way they're leaving. And so we had given a lot of people a lot of hope, a lot of the people that worked there, which made me feel good that, that you know, they had helped us so much that we made it and um, that they wanted to see that for themselves. I, I thought that was great. I hope that helps them to this day to, you know, know that their jobs are valuable and they did help save our lives and we're forever grateful for that. It was really rough to go home. Um, when we got home, my little boy, who was alive and he was home, was afraid of me. He, When I walked in, he was very afraid of me. When I had last seen him, I was very pregnant and very full of life and rosy-cheeked and you know, had some weight on me. When I came back, I had atrophied, my body had atrophied, and I had obviously had the baby, and I'm wearing this neck brace. I was, you know, banged up, you know, <laughs> pretty, pretty banged up. So that was really hard on me because I missed him so much, and, you know, here, here's my baby, and I thought he was didn't make it, and he's there, and all I want to do is, you know, hug him, and he was rejecting me, and that was really hard, super hard. Plus, I came home with a new baby sister after all that. So poor, poor thing. He, that was rough on him, and uh, that really was a lasting uh, impression on him. So then I had to try to recover from this, and it was very slow. It was very, I was in a lot of pain. I had two babies. People were very generous with their time and their resources, and they would come and they would stay with us for days and weeks at a time to take care of the children, to help with me, um, so my husband could go to work. And that was just above and beyond. I was just so um, amazed that people would do that for us. But the people in our um, church community would go out of their way to just, you know, pray for us, bring us food. Um, help us in any way they could. And they were just so genuinely loving and kind and helpful, just so Christ-like. And it just made me um, so happy that I had, you know, turned to Christ and, and became a Christian because of people like like they were. And I just, I, I'm forever grateful to them. I wish, looking back, that people would have come and taken my little boy more out in normalcy because he was in a trailer with us with all this trauma and drama going on. That didn't help his mind at all. Um, and it ended up where not very long after my neck slipped 
and I ended up having to go back to the hospital. So I had to leave my children and go back to the hospital. And I have to tell you, that drive to the hospital was very dark and gloomy in my head. It was just, you know, that's not what I was hoping for. Um, it was very dreadful. And we got to, to the hospital. They needed to, they wanted to do surgery. I said no. Um, I don't know why I said no, but I was really adamant about it. And they ended up putting my neck in traction. So I was laying on a bed flat, and they put this, these looks like ice tongs from back in the old days with like a big block of ice, ice tongs into my skull. And so the the ice tongs are in my head. I'm sure that's not their technical term, but you know, that's what I lovingly call them. And they had weights like like you have in a gym hanging off the back of the bed. And I was in traction for three days like that. And they were trying to pull my neck. It was a torture chamber. It was just like horrible, horrible. And finally, I just said, I just want the surgery. And they gave me the surgery. But with the surgery came the halo. It sounds nice, a halo, but... um, this was a halo apparatus. And for those of you who aren't familiar with it, it's back when I had one, it was quite large. And nowadays, I think they make them a bit smaller. Mine was, there was a ring around my head like a halo and screws with actual threads on them. Screws went into my skull, four of them. And then there were metal bars that came down to my chest. And I had a, a, a big vest that went all the way down to my hips, and it was solid plastic filled with lamb's wool. And there was a wrench taped to the front. The wrench was if I started having a heart attack, um, somebody could take the wrench and remove the vest. So I was put into this halo after the surgery, and it was very claustrophobic feeling, and I'm not claustrophobic at all, but it was like, I, I maybe that's not the word. It was, you know, obviously confining. I was in a tremendous amount of pain with screws into my skull. My dad called it my crown of thorns. And at the time, I didn't know what that meant. I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. But he was, that's what he always referred to it as, a crown of thorns. So now that I'm Catholic, I think that's interesting. So I have this halo on. I'm in the hospital feeling very vulnerable, vulnerable and helpless and just in a lot of pain. I definitely had a clear fight of good and evil happening right there in my room with me. I'll probably go into deeper in another episode about angels because this my my accident story does have angel stories in it that I'll I'll be saying in a later episode but I'm just convinced that you know again I was trying to be wiped out I was trying to be knocked down I was trying to be leveled um but God just wasn't allowing it he you know he was right there with me you know it it was a very scary scary time for me in in that moment They wouldn't let me leave the hospital until I could do buttons um, because, you know, I wasn't functioning very well. So that was tricky. And I had to go to the bathroom by myself. And I would sit in my bed 
um, in the hospital and I would be working this putty, this theraputty they had me doing. I would be, you know, moving my legs as best I could, trying to do things. And they would come in in all hours and I would be, you know, working on things and they'd say, we've never seen anybody so determined as you. And I said, well, I got to get home. I have babies to get home to. I, I have stuff to do, you know. Um, of course, I couldn't move that great, but I just wanted to get home to my children. But um, they definitely could tell I was very determined and still am to this day. But that that helps get you through a lot when you have, you know, a lot of determination, which I do. And you definitely do have to have faith. You definitely have to have a support system. You know, you can't you can't be a quitter. You got to you got to keep working. You have to have something to look forward to. You know, I needed to get home to those children. I knew it was going to be hard. I knew, you know, I was paralyzed learning how to redo everything. Um, So it wasn't going to be easy, but I'm just very determined. And I knew that I had a good support system. So Um, I ended up having to go home with this apparatus on. And that was just, it was actually hell, hell on earth. To be in that halo, um, we lived in a trailer. We lived with, you know, there was no relief from the heat. I was living in 110 degree temperature um, with this big apparatus, you know, filled with lamb's wool. At that time, I was super low weight because, you know, of all this going on with my body. So I'm carrying this really heavy apparatus and just in a lot of pain, still trying to heal. You know, can't walk very well or move very well, have two babies. It was a lot. It was a lot. And just to sleep in this thing was almost impossible. I was suspended in it. So it's like you're you can't lay down. You're, you know, you're suspended with these bars. And so sleeping was a challenge. Um, I couldn't take a bath or a shower. So my husband would lay me on the front deck and hose my hair off and wash my hair off the deck. Um, we have photos of it. It's like vultures used to fly over, and I'm all, no, no, go away. <laughs> oh, my gosh, we had to find some humor in it. But he would wash my hair, and um, we had I had to have special clothes made to fit over the halo that my mother-in-law made, thank heaven. So, yeah, that was that was a very long summer in that in that halo apparatus. And you know, I have to say, as torturous as it was, it's it's also a miracle because I was able to, my neck was able to heal and I was able to move around. You know, I am very grateful that whoever invented that did because, you know, it, it I was able to heal um, as best as I could. When I look back on this part, uh, this, this accident part of my life, I do find it really interesting that I had just become Christian, like the year before this. And it was so different. Like when I think of myself today, how I think about God and Jesus and prayer and, and everything, it's not at all how I felt back then. I was just so inexperienced with it all. And it was kind of such a preliminary moment in my journey. And if I were in that accident today, I would be handling it so much differently. I think back then I was just grasping on anything I could that I thought was positive, that was going to, 
get me through this. I definitely felt like God was with me, but it was almost a different God than I'm dealing with today. So I often wonder, even at the time, I often wondered, if I hadn't become Christian, what would have happened? Like, would it have even happened in the first place? Because I I feel like I was this bright, shiny new Christian who was just so deeply in love with Christ, couldn't get enough of him. You know, that's that's really what, what my I was thinking, okay, this is what I'm gonna do. I love this way of life. And and then I think Satan was like, Oh, she's a threat. I gotta get rid of her. You know, I definitely didn't pray or think the way I do today, but whatever I was doing with the help of other people got me through it. I think it's more the people around me maybe got me through it more than me praying. That I did have um, some counseling after the accident with my pastor of the church. And to this day, I still remember the things he told me. I wasn't functioning super great at the time, uh, mentally or physically, but I, I think it's really interesting that I still remember a lot of what he said. I mean, I had like a lot of guilt. I felt guilty about, you know, that I married my husband and I was now not the wife that he married. And I just felt really guilty about that. And he was saying, well, this wasn't your fault, you know, and it was an accident and you, um, you know, you're taking on something that you didn't, you know, mean to happen. Then one of the things that, that I just have always really, always go back to is that my, my pastor had said, you never know what God's purpose is for you. And this might have happened because you're supposed to help somebody else. And he goes, you might not ever know who that person is. Like, you, whatever, like, it might not even be a direct result of the accident. It might just be because this happened, then something else happens, and it's not for you to know. It's for God has the plan, and sometimes you're, you're involved in it to make something else happen for someone else or something else is supposed to happen. And if that wouldn't have happened, the next part of their story wouldn't have happened. So I always thought that was interesting, and I do believe that. I have really tried to help a lot of people with my situation, my physical disability. It's made me really aware of people who are disabled and their needs. Also, you can't judge a book by its cover is a big lesson to be learned because I get a lot of comments. People don't understand that I'm disabled. Just because somebody doesn't look like they're disabled doesn't mean they're not. Or you don't have to be old to have a cane or a handicap sign, which I have both. It's it's a good lesson for people, and it just made me really aware of that. Another thing I think that was a big lesson out of this, not just for myself, but I try to really say this to everybody when, when I do talk about my accident is, again, life is like super, super precious. And I, I don't necessarily know if it needs to be like live your day as if it's your last, as much as try to wake up every morning thinking, you know, I'm going to do my best today. I'm going to be loving and kind to people. I'm going to try to help others and have sympathy and empathy. And don't put stuff off. Don't wait for things. If you love somebody, tell them you love them. If you want to use your good china, use your good china. I have a joke where I always say, wear your pretty panties. I was always saving my pretty panties. What was I saving those for? Like, wear the pretty panties, which sounds funny, but it's just, 
It's like whatever that means to you. Like, like I said, don't don't put things off and always make sure people know how you feel about them in a good way. Because like I said, my my life was almost over at age 24. And, you know, you just can't take anything for granted. And you have to be really grateful for what you have. And, you know, love, love the people around you do do good in the world. And don't wait, don't wait for stuff, because it could be gone tomorrow. And that would be really too bad. So, so next week, um, I'm going to talk about the aftermath of this accident. And the aftermath went on for quite a long time. I think it's important to talk about that part of my life because there were uh, additional trials and traumas that happened. And that will lead us up to the next phase of my life, which was my conversion, which I'm very excited to talk about because that's why we're here. Thank you for joining me today. Now go out and be a bright light in someone's life. And remember, be focused, be faithful, and be fresh.